0: I've made lots of mistakes like anyone else, but don't compound it by trying to hang on to the money you've already invested in it. It's better just to cut and move on.
1: Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, for all my fix and flippers out there are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line. And are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by lowering your loan payments to the bank or maybe your private lender? well our best ever sponsor patch of land you know patch of land they've been on the show representatives of their company have been on the show many times they've been a sponsor of this show many many times they're back for more because they love you and they love working with the best ever listeners and they've got an interesting point of view on interest rates and that is that it's The interest rates that we are quoted shouldn't necessarily be taken at face value because perhaps a higher interest rate could actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And they have a white paper on how that is possible and how that can be applied to your fix and flip business to help your bottom line get more profitable and to help you choose the best A lender for your financing needs. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and they've got a white paper for you and it will walk you through the way to evaluate interest rates in terms in general on your loan so that you truly are getting the best interest rate because there are some tricky things some lenders try to do to, um, glaze over the fact that their lower interest rate, quote unquote, is actually higher based on some technical things that they put into it. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and get that white paper so that you can save money on your fix and flip projects. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluff. With us today, Jared Rogers. How you doing, Jared?
0: Good. Thanks for having
1: me, Joe. Well, my pleasure. And boy, looking forward to diving in with you because, well, Jared's got over 20 years of commercial and residential real estate investing experience. And in fact, for the first half of his real estate career, he raised over $1 billion for investors and developers. And he's also leased, managed, and sold properties from 700 square foot homes to 900,000 square foot industrial parks based in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Is that all accurate, Jared? That's incredibly impressive.
0: That's all accurate. That was my first two lives. I'd say I'm probably on life three now.
1: Well, <laughs> so let's talk about the beginning. And then I'd love to talk about where you're at now. $1 billion raising money for developers and from investors. Tell us about that.
0: Well, I started off out of school in a small kind of boutique investment bank with basically placing debt for people who had shopping centers, apartment buildings, that kind of thing. Everything from mobile home parks, some esoteric properties to the four product types. That company got acquired. We turned into being a direct lender. So it grew real fast. I got to grow real fast. I kind of wanted to get into more of the creative side of financing. So I left to join a boutique firm called Buchanan Street Partners, which is still somewhat in operation today on a smaller scale. And then me and a partner, were basically had our own Rolodex of clients and we would raise $3 million for a simple acquisition to the largest deals I did were $150, $180 million kind of entire redevelopment plays. Hmm. Mostly on the West Coast, we saw our clients sometimes East as they went East. So basically West Coast focused.
1: I want to make sure I'm understanding. Let's just pick one of the projects. Let's say the redevelopment. You were raising money and were you on the general partnership side or was your role? No, different? no. So,
0: uh, we were retained by lots of developers and investors to raise money for their projects. Okay. So we, you, you so we a, were a broker dealer. Like we were a finance broker. Yep. Okay.
1: Uh, no, no,
0: we were a finance broker. They'd contact us and so we'd underwrite, understand the deal, present it to different capital sources and so that we might raise equity, we might raise debt, we might raise both. Sometimes we're raising five different capital stacks if the deal is large enough or you get money from Germany and kind of all over the place so it really just depended on the deal we were basically for middle-sized developers we were their in-house CFO in terms of raising money for their projects
1: mm. how did you and your colleagues come in contact with the individuals who were writing 100 million dollar checks
0: different organizations. A lot of it started with, like everyone else, the Conduit, banks, the Lehman Brothers. We did a lot of stuff with New York, like everybody did. And then you just kind of grow from there as you build up your reputation. So we started doing stuff with investors out of Asia. I did stuff with Sharia investors. I did stuff with European investors, high net worth family offices, you name it. There's a lot of money out there that's chasing yield. And that was one way they could get yield was to loan to developers. Ground up, kind of creative stuff.
1: Was it through an EB-5 program or something different?
0: They're all institutional or large investors. So we would just basically create similar to an offer memorandum and say, this is what we're requesting. Here's the sponsor. What can you do?
1: What's a typical structure look like?
0: One of my sponsors, one of the largest developers in the world, they really were only looking for good debt for large projects. I had other investors who literally said, look, this project's 50 million bucks. We can put in half a million. We need you to find the other 49.5 million. And we would raise, sometimes that might be an A piece, a senior debt. We might raise a B piece. We might even raise a C piece just to layer it all in.
1: For someone who's not familiar with different types of ways to structure that, can you elaborate on the senior debt, the B piece, the C piece, just to bring us all to your level in case we're not as versed in this?
0: I apologize. The senior level is just the debt. That's whether it's a construction lender or everybody has in their house. That'd be a senior level financing. The HELOC that people have in their house would be a B loan. It's secured behind the A loan. So that would be more of an equity position. Sometimes products are so large enough, we would raise a piece between it. We call it the B piece or the mezzanine. And that'd be the piece between the equity and between the senior debt. It gets paid a higher return because it's riskier than the senior level, A piece but it is not as risky as the equity piece because it is debt. So Th- it would charge somewhere in between.
1: Does the B piece have to agree to have it be jumped ahead?
0: The B piece has to agree to subordinate to the A. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's why they get paid more. All the home loans that people do today that all get pulled together, they get sold off in 1 million tranches. So if someone's buying the A piece, someone's buying the B piece, and then all the way down the line, depending on where that investor wants his return, if he wants essentially a rate better than a CD, he's buying the A piece, and that's basically all he's getting. But then there's somebody on the backside who'll take all that risk because they want 20% return. If that kind of yep, makes sense,
1: that does make sense. So that was part one of your career. What was part two?
0: Part two was I left that partnership in California and decided to chase the kind of quality of life. I came out to North Carolina and I wanted to get on the ownership side of real estate, the true bricks and mortar side of real estate. So I partnered with a former client of mine and we were buying business parks, industrial parks, and that kind of stuff in and around North Carolina. That's when I hired a construction manager, a leasing person, property managers, all those things. They ran kind of the day-to-day and I was more of the regional director overseeing the operations, seeking out new opportunities, making big decisions, interacting with money partners, all those kind of senior level duties. But a tenant gets sideways, I'm the person that's got to go in and try and straighten it out. Mm-hmm. So I'm the person, the other people on the ground can call in when issues arise.
1: Tell us a story about one.
0: I dealt with everything from the smallest tenant was 400 square feet and the largest tenant was 220,000 feet. And that was Ralph Lauren. So it all had different problems. Polo was much more of a critical operational thing. The business shut down. They were really frustrated. Small businesses, we had everything from delinquencies like you would on a single family home because small businesses you might not have the credit risk that you had. I've had tractor trailers back up in the gas lines, whole properties evacuated, you name it. I've seen a lot happen on a commercial property.
1: So walk us through one specific example, if you would, and then your approach for how you had this solution and the process for it.
0: Well, one of the properties we bought down in Charlotte had some awkward buildings. People kind of add stuff on and as they go through the years to try and chase more income. So Interesting solution on that was I contacted the city, I contacted the investment partner and went to him and said, hey, honestly, guys, this building's 14,000 feet, but it really should be 10. Let's cut off 4,000 feet. I know it sounds crazy, but at 14,000 feet, it's going to lease for, let's just say, a buck a foot a month. And if I get it down to 10 and I can lease it for dollar fifty a month, we're going to make more money and we're going to have less downtime because it's a more functional building. Mm. So I still do a lot of that and every day, addition by subtraction, but that's something that a lot of people wouldn't even look at.
1: How do you show that in numbers to the business partners to get them comfortable to actually remove square footage from their property?
0: (laughs) I'm a big fan of keeping it simple, stupid. So I do do a lot of simple kind of PowerPoint presentations, walking them through, showing them why it's more functional and showing them at the same time that they're not losing equity because of it. So it'll be a simplified map analysis, but I might show them a floor plan. I'll have different brokers in the market provide their input, and we'll have contractor input to show them that, hey, this is what it's going to cost. We're not going to get destroyed on it, and we can make that money back in three years of lease, just on that space.
1: Now you're investing in your own deals and you're focused on that, right?
0: Yeah, I basically, life got in the way. I had to take more time off, so I just started doing single family deals and now I'm doing single family and commercial deals and trying to stay kind of lower and slower just because it's just less partners. I get a bigger share of the upside and less partners to answer to.
1: What's a specific example of a commercial deal that you're doing?
0: I just bought three recently. I bought one, which could be considered not the prettiest thing in the world, but bought one about 5,500 square feet. I'm subdividing it for kind of nine small business spaces. I call them the apartment building, I want the kids or the pool. And we were able to get the municipality here to allow us to move it into a RUCA area, which is kind of a revitalization area, where the city has two programs. One, they give me a grant for 50% of my construction costs. Another, they give me a loan for the other 50% of my construction costs. So on that building, I bought it 25% below list price. I got the seller to give me... 80% 80% debt for five years at 3.75%. And I'm negotiating with the city to basically give me my renovation line.
1: <laughs> I was writing down notes. What were your out-of-pocket costs to acquire it?
0: My partner, and I put 30 grand down to buy it. We actually have a really bad tenant in there now, but still pays for our overhead and pays for our mortgage from our seller while we go through and do the whole design, rebuild, and approval process. It worked without the potential city funding, but obviously it turns into a complete home run if our equity goes down from 200 grand to 50 grand overall. Mm-hmm.
1: What type of property is it?
0: Oddly enough, it's a former restaurant slash catering space, but it was masonry construction. It's got shallow depths, so it's very functional to carve up. It's got very good traffic counts. It basically sits just off a corner. So I looked at it more like a small flex building, like they've had a ton of those where most people saw a very old, dirty catering building.
1: What type of tenant, once you subdivide it out, would be renting?
0: It'd be everything from the small tax guy, the small business that deals with government money where they need to have a physical location. You name the small business, it'd be quasi-retail. It might even have a barbershop in it just Mm because of the traffic counts. So Mm -hmm. any small retail, small office, or anything in between. The great thing about those products is they rent like apartments. Someone comes in and says, what's the rent per foot? They say, what's the monthly number? So I can rent 350 square feet for 550 bucks a month, which is in that area, probably a crazy number per foot, but that's not what it's about. It's about what can they afford per month, just like an apartment.
1: Mm. Compared to industrial parks or retail that might rent per square foot.
0: Any space over 2,000 feet is going to rent per foot, just because of options. On a small size range, it really comes down to what they can afford per month. I did a survey in our area. There were literally, when we went under contract to buy the building, there was one space under 700 square feet available. And that doesn't count the small office suite that's on the third floor, because that's not my competition. My competition is you can drive right up and you have a quasi-retail location.
1: How much did you acquire it for? How much are you looking to put into it? And then what is the value that you'd like it to be at in what period of time?
0: I like to do somewhat per foot number. So we bought it for like 35 bucks a foot. And then we're going to put anywhere probably an additional 20 to $30 a foot, depending on how far we take it. If I get the municipality partnership, I'll go on the higher end because I'll make the building more bulletproof. So i keeping my maintenance costs lower ongoing. And then it should be worth 90 to 100 bucks this way after that.
1: Over what period of time?
0: It will take, I'd say a year to renovate and three months to lease up and a year of seizing. So in three years.
1: And what do you plan on doing at that point with it?
0: Getting a conventional loan, taking out any equity and hopefully recapturing some profits and paying off my seller financing and holding it as long as I can.
1: What's your role in the management?
0: The property management, or are you talking like asset management, construction management, all that stuff?
1: All of the above.
0: I guess you'd say I'm involved in all of it. Some love all, some involved in, some of the property management I'll be involved. Some of the construction management, given my background, I've probably done 1,000 or so TI jobs. And then on the leasing side, given the traffic counts, we won't even hire a leasing broker. We'll just put a sign in front and say, space available, under 500 bucks a month. And then just hopefully start taking orders. I don't need 100 of them. I just need nine of them on that Mm -hmm. building.
1: Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: I would say don't throw good money after bad. I've made lots of mistakes like anyone else, but don't compound it by trying to hang on to the money you've already invested in it. It's better just to cut and move on.
1: Can you tell us a story about that?
0: Yeah, I've had several ones because I was working on a deal even recently with the city of Charleston and I had a deposit down on some row houses that we were going to renovate and they were going to, going to be me a public-private partnership and that kind of stuff. And I met with the division. It was great. Everything went well. I sent them a presentation. I didn't like the feedback I got. It wasn't negative, but it gave me pauses in terms of the questions they were asking. So I had $3,500 at risk and I said, you know what, I'd rather fight for that $3,500 on that escrow, then double down and hope these guys will be there for me like they said they would be. And well, I think it turned out to be the right decision. The municipality wasn't as aggressive as they said they were going to be. And I would have lost a lot more money if I had decided to go forward.
1: You said the questions on the surface weren't positive or negative, but it gave you pause. What questions were they asking that gave you pause?
0: When I first discussed the project with them, they were talking more like, hey, we really want to see this happen and we're going to help you do it. We're going to do all these things. And then when we sent them information, they started kind of, I'd say, wear the wrong hat. So they started asking questions about our potential construction costs and that kind of stuff. And I said, whoa, that's not your role, guys. Your guys' role is to trust us as the developers to do what we say we're going to do and then be there for us when we need you. So when they started... I'd say poking around, responding maybe a little slower than I would like to based on our initial feedback, I just said, they're not where they want to be. They say they want to be there, but they weren't there. Mm-hmm. It's better for me to cut the fishing line and try again. I'm still trying to get that deposit back. I haven't given up on it, but <laughs> uh, I'm much more comfortable knowing that that's my downside is I lose that. And no one likes losing lose 3,500 bucks. Don't get me wrong. It really hurts. But the potential losses and the time invested on those losses far outweighs that.
1: If you would have proceeded and then something happened, what would have been the potential losses besides time, but monetary wise?
0: Monetary wise, I would say after a couple of years, it was three projects which were trying to grow into five. I might have had to come out of pocket like 50 grand to refinance them at the end of the day or leave a lot more equity in there than I wanted to. So they would go into a very low-yielding deal.
1: That is definitely a story of experience coming into play because on the surface, if they were not saying no, then inexperienced investors might not read between the lines.
0: Right. And that probably goes back to my experience in my first life when I was having to make those calls for those developers and help them raise money where they might have – 100 hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars non-refundable money, you get to the point where you're pretty good at ferreting and making sure that the people are going to be there for them when it comes time to close.
1: You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right, let's do it. First a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor Patch of Land has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan and conversely how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantas discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at com forward slash show. That's d-w-e-l-l-y-n-n.com forward slash show. What's the best ever book you've read?
0: I'd say I'm kind of reading it right now. It's a book called Design Your Life. I really like it because I think we all have maybe the shiny bobble thing where we chase whatever seems like everybody's doing well at. I'm kind of passionate about a lot of things. So I like to try a lot of things. I'll try private partnerships, I'll try tax credits, I'll try anything, everything to figure out if I am truly passionate about it. So I like what those guys are teaching, which is try it, learn from it and figure out if it's something you want to do ongoing, but I don't want to be pigeonholed or narrow focused and not be open to new opportunities where I think some investors are told, don't go chase the shiny new object. I think you can learn a lot from chasing the shiny object as long as you put that into practice and move on.
1: Best ever deal you've done that you haven't talked about already?
0: On the residential side, I've done some very, very simple assignments and made twenty five grand pretty easily. On the commercial side I did the large industrial deal in Greensboro, it's my old partnership with seventy nine percent return on investment. Still the largest return they've ever had. That's a pretty high number for buying an existing property and turning it around. So that was Probably the best
1: deal I've ever done. Is that 79% annual return? Yeah. Over how many years? Four years. Wow. So 79% a year for four years is what they made. Wow, that's great. Well, that's phenomenal, actually, not great. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that you haven't talked about?
0: I would say mistake that I'll never make again and haven't made again was I didn't pull permits on one of my earlier renovations. I let a contractor tell me I didn't need them. And then when everything hit the fan, that contractor was gone, and I was left trying to solve all the problems.
1: (laughs) What was the result?
0: The result was $8,000 in repairs and a slap on the wrist from that municipality for doing unpermitted work.
1: Plus probably a delay in selling, which time value of money comes into play too there.
0: Actually, I had sold it.
1: (laughs) Oh, you already sold it. You had to go back and do it.
0: (laughs) Technically, I didn't. I mean, legally in North Carolina, it's a buyer beware state. But at the end of the day, you got to do what's right.
1: Best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you?
0: My email, Rogers at com, was probably the one I use the most. And I'm on Facebook. I got several Facebook pages. The one I'm doing the most on right now or trying to build up is webuysmallcommercialproperty.com because that is one of my focuses is trying to continue to buy more small, well-located commercial property.
1: And just to double check, your email, J, the letter J, R-O-G-E-R-S, at WeBuyHouses.com, correct? Correct. All right. Great. Well, thank you for sharing your insight, your experience over 20 years of investing and being involved in real estate, the don't throw good money after bad example with the row houses in Charleston, and on the flip side the 5,500 square foot commercial property, subdividing that out and how you're able to structure that deal and maybe even get a grant to pay for 50% of the renovations and a loan for the other 50%. And then where you see that going, $35 a foot, put in 20, all in about 50, 60, and then make it worth 90 to 100 in about three years time. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. Have a good day. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin' Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at com forward slash show. That's com forward slash show.